Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, September 7th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm a senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film senior writer and weekend editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Brad, happy Labor Day, or belated. How, how was your Labor Day? Oh, it was great. What what did your local union workers get you for Christmas <laughs> or Labor Day? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I guess some some blessed time to myself, which I, I really appreciated. Uh, hopefully everybody out there had a good Labor Day. Uh, let's dive right into the news, Brad, and let's start things off on a sad note. Michael K. Williams passed away yesterday. Um, the circumstances surrounding his death, I feel like I've seen some conflicting reports about that, so we don't even really need to get into that. Uh, he was 54 years old. Um, Michael K. Williams, of course, famous for his w- roles on The Wire and Lovecraft Country and, I mean, a, a ton of things, uh, Boardwalk Empire. Um, th- this is a guy who has been nominated for, what, I think something like five Emmy Awards and has just been a constant presence on television for the past 20 years. Um, I mean, obviously, it's it's a, a tragic thing losing somebody like this who I feel like had at least, you know, two or three decades more of uh, of work in him where he, he would have been able to just churn out amazing performance after amazing performance. Do you have any particular Michael K. Williams uh, memories or performances that stick out to you, Brad? Um, yeah, I mean, this is just tragic. Uh, Boardwalk Empire, obviously, you know, is uh, a, a huge one. Uh, I unfortunately haven't seen The Wire, but um, what he did on Boardwalk Empire, you know, was, was stellar. I, I loved his um, brief appearances on Community, uh, you know, showing that he can, you know, has a little bit of a, a funnier streak to him as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, all the dramatic work as well. Um, a, a more recent one that I feel like a lot of people uh, might have missed because this was such a low-key release, uh, but he's in John Leguizamo's movie Critical Thinking, which um, I, I championed for a certain uh, sequence to end up on our, like, uh you know, best mo- uh, movie moments of uh, 2020 last year. Uh, and this, this is the, uh, the, the chess drama that's kind of like dangerous minds meets, uh, you know, searching for Bobby Fisher kind of thing. And uh, he's in that as this uh, rough around the edges, father figure of one of the key kids in the movie. And uh, it, you know, it's, it's another uh, great performance of his and uh, as he has so many. So this was just uh yeah, just a real, real tragic thing to hear. 
Yeah, he was great on Lovecraft Country. Um, when They See Us is a recommendation that I'll make for for a lot of people. I feel like that show, which is on Netflix, and Ava DuVernay uh, directed that that series, and it's about the um, the guys who used to be known as the Central Park Five. Um, and Michael Michael K. Williams plays one of their fathers in in that show, and he gives a great performance there. And I feel like not not uh, enough people have seen that show. Um, he was really excellent in The Night of, which is another HBO thing. He was like a, really a, a mainstay of uh, of the HBO dramas. Um, I think he even popped up in an early episode of The Sopranos before The Wire came out. Um, but man, like The Wire, that is one of those performances that, you know, there are some actors when they pass away and uh, their most popular project on their IMDb page is the first thing that, that is listed in their obituary. And like, if you're a, a diehard fan of that person, you probably, um, I don't know if this happens to you or not, Brad, but like sometimes when somebody will pass away and it'll be like, oh, this person known for X, I'm kind of like, yeah, I mean, I guess that that thing performed well or like was broadly popular or whatever. But like my personal favorite thing from them was this other thing that maybe, you know, didn't set the box office on fire, but uh, is like a more potent work or whatever it is. But The Wire, I think, is really one of those shows that um, that is the first thing that people talk about when when they remember Michael K. Williams. And I think it's worthy of that. Like his work in that show is worthy of, of being remembered in that way. It is uh, truly incredible and like one of the best characters and performances that, it, you know, that have been on TV in this century so far. So um, I would highly encourage you to check it out, Brad. It's, you know, this is probably a pretty novel thing for you, Brad. Somebody t- suggesting that you watch The Wire. I bet that's never happened. No one's ever told me before. I, I tell people <laughs> I've seen it and they're, like, they're, they're never like, oh, you should see The Wire. They're like, I ah, don't worry about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, talking about uh, his, his um, uh, like, sense of humor with the the little run of episodes that he did on community. He also appeared in a, a funnier die video about 10 years ago called the wire, the musical um, where he reprised his role as, as Omar on that. So if you've not seen that, I would encourage you to, to just give that a quick YouTube search. Um, I'm actually going to embed a few things uh, or link to a few things rather in the show notes, um, viral tweets and things that I've seen um, with people who knew him uh, sharing remembrances. Um, Lance Reddick, who, who starred with him on the wire and Wendell Pierce, who's another co-star um, both uh, I've seen videos over the past few hours that um, with those guys were, were talking about uh, Michael K. Williams and, and it's, they, they speak to it uh, better than I could. So um, yeah, rest in peace. Uh, I don't know really how to transition out of that, but let's just go ahead and move into our next story, which is that uh, Amazon's Mr. and Mrs. Smith show has lost Phoebe Waller-Bridge as one of the leads. So um, I don't know if you guys remember this, but uh, I think this was the last year, early last year, maybe Donald Glover and Phoebe Waller-Bridge uh, were going to be teaming up to star in a, a, a streaming version of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, um, which is based on the 2005 movie that starred Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie and uh, Donald Glover is still attached to the project. And the show is going to be uh, recasting the Phoebe Waller bridge role. And those two are friends. They, um, you know, have appeared at, at, uh, I remember Donald Glover giving a speech um, sort of in honor of Phoebe Waller bridge around the time that Fleabag was really blowing up. Of course they co-star together in solo, a star Wars story. Uh, and they're so yeah, they're friendly, but she left the show after quote uh, a different creative vision for the series than, than Donald Glover. So I guess she had, yeah, a, a different idea of, of where the show should go. And Donald Glover has, um, a like a first look deal with Amazon. And I guess this was a show that he sort of brought to the streamer and 
uh, took it to her because they were friends and, and he thought it would be a good fit for her. And then, um, so he, he is still involved with that show. We're not sure what the timeline is on, on what this is going to be sort of moving forward. I think I read at like Hollywood reporter or something that, um, they're going to try to recast the role and then start filming next year and also, uh, release the show sometime in 2022 as well. So, um, yeah, I, I still look forward to the show and I'm, I'm bummed obviously that these two who, uh, you know, they had like a fun little dynamic on solo, but because she was playing a, a droid character, it, I feel like it didn't have the, the full, um, chemistry that maybe it could have otherwise. Uh, but you have any thoughts about this, Brad? Are you still ex- interested in a, uh, in a Mr. and Mrs. Smith show? Um, I mean, with Donald Glover still attached, absolutely. It's a little bit of a bummer that Phoebe Waller-Bridge is gone now. Um, but I'm definitely curious to see what Glover does with material like this because it feels like such basic blockbuster uh, kind of stuff. But I know that a creative mind like Glover has to have, you know, an intriguing uh, new approach to make it feel fresh again. So I'm definitely curious to see see what that is. Also, in kind of a strange uh, turn of events, uh, it's, you know, funny that we have... Uh, news about these two who were on in solo when Michael K. Williams was supposed to be in solo, a star Wars story, but because of scheduling issues, um, he wasn't able to uh, stay on production for as long of a time. So the scenes that they shot with him ended up being cut out of the movie. Was that, um, was he going to be playing Paul Bettany's role? Is that right? I think that that's what it was. I actually forget. There were so many problems with solo that I, I don't even remember. What, yeah. The what directors was. left. It was a whole, yeah. a whole deal. So, um, yeah, I feel like I remember him maybe being up for the the Paul Bettany sort of uh, like intergalactic gangster type of role. Um, right. But uh, yeah. Anyway. All right. So uh, so yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. And and as you mentioned, Brad, like the the idea of uh, Donald Glover hopefully having like a take on this that that is slightly different. Uh, I think when the show was originally announced, it was uh, the report said that it was going to be a quote new take and iteration on the film. Um, so. Yeah, and I wonder like just how new it can be within the confines of you know the idea of two assassins, two people who are married to each other and don't realize that the other one is a, a world class assassin. So uh, definitely a cool concept. Definitely still excited that that Donald Glover is involved. Um, all right, let's transition over into the world of box office, which has been you know wildly up and down to say the least uh, over the past eighteen months or so. Uh, but a new Marvel movie just came out, and uh, Brad, tell me how Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings performed at the box office. It definitely exceeded uh, expectations. Um, you know, obviously we're in a very uh, difficult situation because of the pandemic, and people aren't turning out to theaters maybe as much as you might expect, even though, you know, restrictions have been lifted and movie theaters have been wide open for a while. The Delta variant is still kind of wreaking havoc across the country, and uh, we were the early predictions were expecting a, a worldwide $90 million opening weekend, uh, but it actually ended up with $146.2 million over the uh, the Labor Day weekend. Um, and that's not bad by any means. Um, the uh, the numbers for the domestic box office were expected to be somewhere between 45 and 50. It actually made $75.5 million uh, across the three-day weekend and $90 million over the holiday weekend for Labor Day. So... Um, I'm not sure this is necessarily a the movies are back kind of scenario, right. but but it's definitely uh, encouraging considering how low the box office performance has been even for uh, big blockbusters. So I think that this is good. Um, it also, you know, this is one of those things where I think that there was a lot of uh, a lot of 
curiosity because this is a new uh, Marvel hero. It also um, hits a lot more as demographics because of it expanding and being the first Asian superhero in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, especially you know um, putting one in such a prominent lead role. And so I, I think that, you know, this was one of those situations where just the appeal was so much that people needed to see it, along with the fact that this is, you know, um, the first new Marvel Studios movie since the pandemic began to get an exclusive theatrical release. There was no mm-hmm. Disney Plus premiere access like there was with Black Widow, uh, which obviously, you know, caused the box office to take a steep dive after the first weekend, even though it was a, a decent weekend, all things considered. Uh, this is one of those situations where I think it shows, uh, you know, why... Uh, movie theaters and studios would prefer to go the uh, exclusive theatrical route. Yeah. So just for comparison's sake, I'm looking here at a chart of um, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe opening weekends, and it looks like Shang-Chi outperformed movies like uh, Thor, Captain America, the first Avenger, Ant-Man and the Incredible Hulk. Um, You know, even obviously those films didn't have a pandemic to contend with. So that's impressive on that level. Um, Ant-Man is, I think is the most recent of, yeah, is the most recent of those movies. Um, So uh, yeah, I think I think like you're saying that shows a, a certain level of interest here. Um, it, it is kind of intriguing that with you know this movie made 75 million dollars domestically in its opening weekend. Black Widow only made 80.3 million dollars in its opening weekend domestically, and and Black Widow had that Disney Plus uh, slash you know that that hybrid release that you're talking about. So um, the idea of saving Shang Chi just for theaters kind of paid off, right? I mean, there it's only $5 million less than putting the movie uh, on premium VOD right out of the gate. So um, what do you think this means about like uh, Disney's uh, release strategy? What, what do you think these numbers are telling them? I'm willing to bet that this will solidify their hopes to just keep on doing theatrical exclusive releases for uh, their movies. Unless the Delta variant makes things uh, significantly worse as we head into uh, fall and, and winter and, uh, you know, numbers rise to, to crazy, you know, levels and there's a lot more danger like there was at the beginning of the pandemic. I feel like uh, we'll see Disney's um, continue to, to stick with that for movies like uh, Eternals, which is coming up in November. Um, and I probably, you know, Spider-Man uh, in December as well. But, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see what other studios do because, Disney's in this unique situation where Marvel is like a box office guarantee for the most part. And so this is these are the movies that are going to perform the absolute best, even in the worst box office circumstances. Mm-hmm. But you have some studios like Paramount, who recently already pushed back Top Gun Maverick and Mission Impossible 7 because of that that delay, because they're thinking that the, the coming months aren't going to be all that great for the box office and they'd rather release them in an environment where there's not any restrictions being placed on audiences, uh, you know, wanting to go to theaters because Mm -hmm. of the pandemic and that kind of thing. So um, Disney may not be the best gauge as for how other studios will uh, engage with the theatrical exclusive window, but at the very least it's somewhat encouraging. Yeah. I mean, I know, you know, on a personal level, like I am very interested in seeing Shang-Chi, but I live in Florida, which is still like right now, you know, one of the, the epicenters of the Delta variant, things are very, very bad here still. So I just, you know, even though I'm vaccinated and everything, I just, because of how, uh, not seriously people seem to be taking this in my area and, um, you know, people don't be are not wearing masks and all that stuff so i just don't really feel comfortable going back to the movies 
Um, so I have not seen the movie yet. I think you saw Shang-Chi though, right? Were you able to rent out another theater with a couple of your friends? Yeah. And that's honestly the only reason we did, because even though I live in a a smaller town in Northwest Indiana, I still don't trust a lot of the population around here because Indiana is uh, a red state and there's a lot of stupid stuff happening around here. Uh, so yeah, so the, I, I still haven't gone to a public screening yet. The only movies I've been going to are when we, me and friends get enough people together to rent out a theater for a private screening. Yeah. So I I feel like, you know, if, if Paramount cares about, uh, making, you know, uh, debuting movies in the best possible circumstances, which it seems like they're doing, I think they're making the right move to, to delay those movies a little bit, but um, yeah, I'm curious with, you know, I, I don't I don't know if Disney has that luxury at this point because of how interconnected everything is with the MCU. And they have, you know, shows that are lined up on Disney Plus that are supposed to come out later this year. And, you know, who knows? I, I don't know because I haven't seen it yet, but how closely Shang-Chi links in with with all that kind of stuff or maybe like what post credits uh, teases there are that, that sort of tie in with stuff. So um, it's a tough situation for a lot of people. But I, I think um yeah, I think this is a an encouraging stat for the for people who are uh, excited about box office numbers and and about like you said maybe it's not a full on return to theaters kind of thing because the Marvel Cinematic Universe is kind of a guaranteed box office kind of th- you know the closest Hollywood has to such a thing right now. But um but yeah, I, I'm curious to see how other studios re- will react. And we know that one studio recently actually made a decision i think explicitly because of how well shang chi performs to tell me what's going on with venom let there be carnage yeah so initially venom let there be carnage uh was pushed back into october because of uh the delta variant things being kind of rough but because shang chi did so well at the box office uh this past weekend sony decided to bump it up two weeks and release it earlier Uh, i don't know if they're trying to get ahead of the curve as they think things may be getting worse just as paramount pictures thought you know and that's why they you know bumped top gun maverick um or if they're just you know encouraged by the the enthusiasm there's right now and they want to follow up on the comic book movie uh hunger there is by, by fans to get this movie out in theaters which will now happen on october 1st uh two weeks earlier than uh, it was intended so uh, this is the first time in a while we've heard of a movie getting bumped up, uh, which is better than constantly telling you that it's going to get pushed back. <laughs> but uh, I do wonder if the, like, if this is going to be a movie that it ends up being as successful as something like Shang-Chi, because obviously the first Venom was a surprising box office, box office behemoth, no matter how silly the movie was. <laughs> um, you know, the I don't know if people just love Venom so much, if they were just hoping for... The, the, a connection to the Spider-Man movies or, or what it was, if it was Tom Hardy doing his own version of the mask. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the people turned out for this movie in droves. Um, but I'm, I'm, I wonder how much of those uh, audiences will be like, Oh yeah, let's, you know, give the sequel a shot because sequels um, more often than not usually have a bit of a box office drop off because those who saw the first movie maybe weren't as impressed and don't really care about seeing another installment. So this will be, and this will be, I think, a good test of how the next few months, through probably through the end of the year, uh, will look as we still wade through the pandemic. Because Venom is a movie that has a lot of interest, but it's also not necessarily as guaranteed as far as like the quality or interest is concerned when it comes to being compared to Marvel Studios movies. Mm-hmm. So I think this will be a good blockbuster comparison once it comes out to see you know whether audiences 
are keen for the right kinds of movies in theaters, you know, if, if, uh, or if, you know, it's one of those things where Shang-Chi was uh, a bit of a fluke simply because of the Marvel uh, cinematic universe links, which Venom doesn't have yet. I, I, I feel like there might be something that happens with that in the near future, depending on what happens with the Spider-Man franchise, but Mm -hmm. we'll see. Yeah, and I'm curious also about No Time to Die because it feels like that's another movie that they've like, okay, they've made the decision, you know, they spent so much, so many millions of dollars on marketing for that movie already. It's been pushed back so many times. I feel like they're officially committed now to that movie coming out. I think it's in October, so next month. Um, And so, yeah, I'm curious like how that one will perform and how, you know, that's another data point on this comparison chart that this fake, (laughs) this fictional chart that we're building here um, where you'll have... Uh, a couple of, of uh, Marvel uh, p- projects, but then also Bond is another one that like in theory would be enough to sort of get people out, especially since it's been what, six years, I think since uh, Spectre came out. So, and this is Daniel Craig's last hurrah. I mean, there's a whole narrative around that. So um, I wonder how that will do and and how everything will be, uh, will be situated, you know, come a month from now. But um yeah, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. Uh, I'm going to link, like I said, to those Michael K. Williams remembrances in the show notes. And you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode as well. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features that you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.